I'm a little out of breath. <laughs> if we're going to sing songs like that, I'm going to have to get in better shape. That's just a fact. And uh, anymore, anymore, I'm a little out of shape. I need to get back to, to doing some sports or something. We need that. So I am so glad to be bringing you this message today. Uh, before I do that, I want us always to remember our motto, who we are, what we stand for, and a good part of that is represented in, in this phrase up here. So help me out with it. No matter your story, you are welcome, you are wanted, and you are loved. Does that mean we can give a stamp of approval on every choice and everything that's going on in your life? I hope not, because I don't got any stamps to give. I don't have one to give to myself. I mean, there's things in my life that I got to work on and I got to grow and I got to change some, some big stuff. But praise God, that's what he does. He works on us. He changes us. He grows us. He develops us. So last time I was able to share God's word with you, we talked about a very famous story. It's usually called the feeding of the 5,000. If you grew up around church, that's maybe a story that you heard. Uh, even if you haven't grown up around church, that's maybe a story that you've known. He probably fed more like 20,000 people that day. Jesus did all with one kid's lunch. An amazing story. Something we don't always think about is how it affected the disciples, the 12. Because they were already very tired when this happened. When you put it into context of what was going on, this came right after a big preaching tour where Jesus sent them out two by two. And they went all around the countryside preaching. And they came back together and they gave the report. And they were just worn out. They needed rest. So the whole point of sailing over to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to this uh, wilderness area, there's a national park there now in Israel. The whole point was to get some rest, to get away from people. But the people followed them. The crowds found out that where they were going to be and met them on the other side. And there were these 5,000 men plus maybe many more thousands of women and children. And they were all there. It's kind of like... Imagine you've come home from a long trip and you're ready to rest only to find out there's like 50 people coming to your house. Like, oh my gosh, I just want to rest. So they're worn out. Now, Jesus did this amazing thing. He fed these 5,000 to 20,000 people. They were a part of that miracle. But remember, what was the reason they had went over there? They were tired. They were worn out. They needed rest. So Jesus um, is... Not going to give them a chance to rest just yet. What a story that we're going to be mostly in in uh, Mark chapter 6, but we're going to reference the book of Matthew and the book of John, who also tell the story. Remember, the four Gospels aren't sequential volumes. It's four different camera angles on some of the same stories. So John adds a detail that Mark did not give us, that after Jesus fed the 5,000, the people were super, super impressed. I mean, wouldn't you be? To see this miracle that has happened. The, the people loved the idea of a leader that could provide for them. And remember the culture in which they lived. Food, food um, insecurity was a daily thing. Like now we are more worried about eating too much. In those days in that culture. They worried about getting enough. It was a struggle. And here is this miracle working man. Who can feed us every day. So they got a great idea. One guy nudged his buddy and said, hey, I think this guy would make a great king. 
We need to make him a king. If he's a king, he can feed us every day. They figured, hey, man, that, that sounds like the kind of leader that we would like to have. And if this is what the kingdom of God is like, the guy who can feed us, then ba 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 ba. I'm loving it. He can take us to the golden arches and he can get us that filet fish sandwich anytime. Yeah, let's make him a king. If this is what following the Messiah is like, yes, let's do it. That sounds good, right? They're ready to make him king. Isn't that the whole point that Jesus would be king? And well, it sounds good, right? But they wanted to make him king for the wrong reasons. Of course, he could be king of their lives if he made their lives easy and carefree. King of the easy times. Sure. King of the good vibes. Yep. King of the spring sunshine. King of the never-ending Long John Silver's seafood platter. And he'll even throw in some hush puppies. Sure. We'll take a king like that. If following Jesus means a trouble-free life, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, let's follow Jesus. But what about when following Jesus isn't all sunshine and snacks on the green spring grass? What about the time when following Jesus puts you in the middle of a storm? Not because you disobeyed, but because you followed him. You, you're having, what happens when you do the right thing and it still goes bad? What about then? If Jesus is king in the sunshine, will you still let him be king in the storm? What about when you're in the storm because you did what he said to do? Ooh, that's tougher. So let's read a little bit. Mark chapter 6, verses 45, uh, starting at verse 45. We'll go on through 52 before we're done. We'll just read a few verses here and we'll stop and pray. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And let's pray there. Heavenly Father, oh, I pray in Jesus' name, praising you for every soul that you've brought here today and everyone listening to this message later on. God, would you please speak to us? And I pray we'll learn to make you king, to receive you as king, even in the midst of the storm. In Jesus' name, amen. So going back to verse 45, the first word in that verse is immediately. And that is a common word in Mark's gospel. You see it again and again and again. It's very fast-paced. It's very action-oriented. Remember, we believe that the gospel of Mark was written based on the memoirs of Simon Peter, who was a very action-oriented disciple. John Mark came along and was a disciple, a follower of, of Peter, Simon Peter. And we always see action, action, action. That's why we don't get a lot of the finer details because it's not action. This Mark's gospel is an action movie version of Jesus' life. So what Mark does not tell us is that um, um, he, the reason why he sent everybody away, we told you he, they tried to make him king, right? They tried to make him king. He was not going to be king. He wasn't having any of that. So he sent everybody away. And uh, he did not just send the crowd away. He sent the disciples away, too. He told them to get on the boat and go ahead over to Bethsaida and wait for him there. And he was going to go up in the mountains. 
he was going to pray, and he would meet him. So I like geography. Anybody like geography? I see a few people who likes geography. Okay, yeah, I love geography. Here's a little geography lesson for you, Holy Land geography. The Sea of Galilee is down in a bowl-shaped depression. The surface of the Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's one of the lower points on earth, way down below sea level. And there are these mountains and cliffs around the Sea of Galilee. So what you have is this huge bowl. It goes way down in there. And um, these cliffs over on the east side of the Sea of Galilee just wound up pretty, not like a steep, steep cliff, like straight up and down, but kind of winding. You can climb up it if you're careful. Uh, there's winding paths and all. So Jesus went up into this cliff side on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, these cliffs wind up to a plateau. So he's somewhere in these cliffs praying. That is the, quote, mountain that he went into to pray. Now, let's think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, went into the mountain to pray to the Father. He went and got along with God. So if Jesus needed solitude in order, solitude with God, in order to remain spiritually and emotionally healthy, why do we think we can keep on going and going and going without making time to get alone with God? We say, ah, oh, we're busy. Man, I know about busy. I know busy. I understand busy. I told you, I work a regular job. And I, and I am leading the church. And I'm going to school at the same time. I understand busy. And I'm being a kind of sorry dad and husband, I think, in the midst of all that. But my wife and kids are showing me a lot of grace right now while I'm getting through my schoolwork. I'm almost thank you for your prayers. It's going real well. Please keep them up. But I understand busy. I understand busy. But you've got to find time. You've got to. However you do it, you've got to find time to get along with God, even if it's in your drive to work or whatever. Find some preaching on the radio. Uh, podcast. If you've got a smartphone, most people do. Find podcasts on there. You can find this. Our messages are recorded every week. So if you ever miss, you can listen to the podcast. Find a way to feed yourself spiritually, to get along with God. If you have, it, have the ability to do so and can schedule some time, literally go into a mountain to pray. And it'll be easy because we're already in the mountains. Just like go in the woods somewhere okay take a little bear spray or something with you because there's getting to be some bears around but go into the mountain and pray go somewhere and pray i mean drive to a parking lot somewhere and just sit and pray find a way if jesus needed it you really think you could do without it and what you may find this is what i've found is well you ever tried to chop down a tree with an axe is it easier with a sharp axe or a dull axe so you might take the time to sharpen the axe and then come back and finish the tree, and you'll still get done faster. We've got to get along with God and let him sharpen us up, and then we can go back and we'll find that the work may happen a lot quicker than we realize. So Matthew tells us one of the reasons that uh, Jesus needed to get alone to pray. Mark doesn't tell us this, that right before the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and explained that John had died. John had been beheaded by Herod. Did Jesus already know that? Yes. Jesus is divine. He knew. He knew. He didn't, he didn't need to be told that John had died. But remember, Jesus, though he is divine, he took on humanity. So becoming a person like us, Jesus took on human 
emotions, and human pain. Part of the reason Jesus was going into the mountain to pray was to grieve. He had to grieve for the loss of his friend, his forerunner, and they were cousins as well. They were relatives. So here we have another example. If Jesus, the Son of God, had to allow himself time to grieve, shouldn't we? There's a time to grieve. And it's good. God gave you them tear ducts for a reason. He gave the ability to, to, to cry, to grieve for cleansing and for healing. Sometimes it's, it, it, hey, it's okay to use what God gave you. And sometimes it's not okay not to cry. So while Jesus is up on the cliffside praying, the disciples are down on the sea. I don't know if you've picked up on this, but it is not daytime anymore. It is nighttime. It is nighttime when this story takes place. And you might say, why are they out on a boat in the night? Some of you would say the fishing's good at night. Uh-huh, you've done some night fishing. Others of you say, you ain't getting me on a boat no matter what. Not everybody's comfortable with boats. Um, why would they go out? Remember, they don't have any lights. They have maybe some lamps or something. There's no headlights on this boat. This is a sailing vessel. Why would they go out at night? Well, there was reasons they thought it might work. And also, who told them to go? Jesus told them to go. With a good wind, it should only take a few hours to cross. But the wind is not good on this particular day. It's the opposite of good. So remember the Sea of Galilee? Remember our geography lesson? The Sea of Galilee is, is like a bowl-shaped depression. And I am not a meteorologist, but I'm married to one, sort of. I don't look on the Weather Channel app to know what the weather's going to be. I ask my own personal meteorologist, who's in the front row right here, Katie, always knows what the weather's going to be. Sometimes the weather is, and I quote, you know you can look this up yourself. I don't know. You can look this up yourself. So why would I? You always know. You always know. So um, what happens when the cold air from these mountains all around the Sea of Galilee, the cold air rushing down into this huge bowl meets the warm air hovering just above the surface of the water? What happens when cold air and warm air mix? You get, you get storms. You get wind. And so this storm, don't imagine it raining so much as being incredibly windy. We saw some of that yesterday, didn't we? We were driving back from a, a family member's uh, little birthday get-together, and uh, we had a tree, like, blow down, and if it had been closer to the road, it would have hit her car. So it's so windy. Imagine it being much more windy, and you're on a sailing vessel on the water in the middle of the night. It sounds like a very dangerous place to be. So they had probably intended to skirt along the, the, the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. That would have been typical. They wouldn't have gone straight across. They kind of would have followed the shoreline at a distance. But the storm had blown them back out into the middle of the sea, back out into the deepest part of the lake. Now, to put it in, in, in its place geographically, this would have made them about three miles away, something like three miles away, give or take, from where Jesus was. They're about three miles away from where he's praying in these cliffs. Now, I don't know about you, but all like the depictions and art of this story that's about to take place always makes it look like they're like 100 yards from the shore. 
You seen that? And I've heard people say, well, Jesus didn't really walk on the water. He just knew where there was these rocks under the surface and he was able to walk out. So you're telling me there was a line of rocks for three miles? Come on, come on. Tell me instead that he rode on the back of a sea turtle, Jack Sparrow style. And then, I'll, you know, maybe you got something there, but come on, rocks, rocks out. And it's like a 175 feet deep or something out where they were. That's a heck of a rock. So I, I don't think that's the case. It's a long way. He was miles at least. Whether it was three, I don't know, it could give or take, but he was a couple of miles plus out in this. They were a couple miles plus away. So they fought this wind for hours and hours, and finally they just dropped the sails and they tried to row. Rowing was no good. They rowed and they struggled until the fourth watch of the night. And that was a Roman way of keeping time. That's about 3 to 6 a.m. So it's like the, that part of the morning. Have you ever had to stay up all night for something when you're not used to staying up all night? And those hours between like 3 and 6 a.m. are rough. Rough, rough, rough. Now, some of you guys have worked night shift, and that's like no biggie to you. But for those of us who aren't vampires, those are tough hours. I had to work third shift for a while in my job while I was being trained, and it was tough. It was really something. I was not a human being. I was a vampire for a good month or six weeks. It was something else. God bless the people who can do that and keep the world going. It's people working those crazy shifts that make the world go around. God bless them. So they, remember though, in context, they were worn out before this. They were so tired before the feeding of the 5,000. And then they fed the 5,000. They helped Jesus carrying these baskets and all of this. And he didn't let them camp for the night. He said, get on the boat and go. And it wasn't the the three-hour tour like Gilligan's Island. It just wasn't that short little hop like they thought. They'd been rowing for, I don't know, eight hours or they've been fighting this wind for eight hours ten hours maybe it's a long long time and now what they're exhausted exhausted they were fighting that wind they were fighting the waves and they didn't have much fight left life is like that isn't it life has a way of knocking you down and before you can get back up again knocking you down again and doing that one after the other after the other. And we're not quitters, right? Right. Some of you are like, wait a minute, what are we, what, what are we doing? I even, we're not quitters, right? In the safety of these walls where we're not actually facing anything out in the real world. We're not quitters, right? We're tough. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm tough. I'm almost as tough as you are. Yeah, we're tough people. We can do this. Except... When it's battle after battle after battle after battle, it starts to get difficult to keep on going and fight the next battle. When you've been rowing against the wind for a long, long time, and I know some of you have been. Some of the people listening to this right now have been rowing against the wind for a long, long time. You haven't sunk yet. I know you haven't sunk because here you are. And you've been fighting, and you've been fighting, but you wonder how much fight you got left. 
And after so long, you start to ask the question that the disciples were certainly asking. You know, the question we're not sure we're allowed to ask. Where's Jesus? Where is the Lord? Where is the Lord while I'm out in the middle of this? Where is the Lord when I'm fighting and fighting and fighting? Where is the Lord when I'm about to sink? Does he not see what I'm going through? Does he not care what I'm going through? Why would he send me out in this just to let me sink? Now remember, why are they out on this water in the first place? Whose idea was this? It was Jesus' idea. Did Jesus know the storm was coming? He knew the storm was coming. And he sent them out there in the storm. They weren't in the storm because they were disobedient. It wasn't because they didn't listen to Jesus. They, they had obeyed Jesus. And they were in the storm because they were listening. Because they were obeying. Now, one of the only things that's worse than being in the middle of a painful, confusing experience is when you got there trying to do the right thing. There's the old proverb that says... Uh, uh, no good deed goes unpunished. You've heard that? Have you felt like you've lived that? I certainly have many, many times. Um, it turns out sometimes my deed wasn't as good as it thought it was. Um, it was good intentions, well, good intentions, but maybe the execution wasn't so great. But when you're trying to do the right thing and you're getting pain and anxiety in return, it is tough. It's hard. And you might find yourself saying, Lord, I'm just trying to do right here. Why is it like this? I don't want to do it this way. I don't, like, I don't like this storm I'm in, Lord, and I feel like I'm here because I've done the right thing. Well, what about that? Can we trust Jesus in the middle of the storm? We can trust Jesus while the sun is shining, but what about when it feels like we're going to sink? What about then? Which one of those is real trust? Which one of those is real faith? Faith that the Lord will get you through a sunny day? Now, if you're super pale and you burn easily, you might need a little prayer there. But does it take more faith to believe that God will get you through a sunny day or through a storm? Through the storm, absolutely. Now, this isn't the first storm in the Gospel of Mark. It isn't the first storm out on the sea in the Gospel of Mark. In Mark chapter 4, just two chapters ago, although it feels like a lot longer ago for us because we've been interrupted so much, Jesus was with them in another storm now this in this storm in mark chapter 4 jesus was in the boat but where is jesus in this story he's not in the boat not physically he's in the mountain he's on the cliff they were in the storm and so far as they could tell jesus was not with them they were alone they were abandoned they were unseen they were maybe they're beginning to wonder if they're unloved that's what it looked like that's what it felt like they were in the storm and jesus wasn't now for honest is there times when we feel that way that we're going through something hard and it, it feels like the lord is far away from us and maybe we know if we just sat down and we know that's not really true but it feels that way and our perception so often becomes our reality that it feels like jesus is far away and we say, Lord, I, you said you'd be with me, Lord. You said you'd be with me, but where are you now? Always more going on than we know. The disciples were not abandoned. Jesus did see them. He did care. They were seen. They were known. They were loved. And help was already on the way. They just couldn't see it. Verse 48. Then he, Jesus, 
saw them straining and rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. You're going to say, wait, wait, he saw them. I thought you said he was maybe a few miles away on the cliff. And it was nighttime. How did that work? Okay, sure was. There's more to the story. See, Jesus has divine power. He, he doesn't have to have some light to see by. He could see. I mean, he could know where they were. But he didn't really need any of that divine power because of what was going on. In the feeding of the 5,000, Mark tells us that they were sitting on the green grass, right? And in that part of the world in the Middle East, the grass is only green for a few short weeks before it turns brown. And those few short weeks tend to be right in about the middle of April. And that is the time of Passover. And Passover is always at the time of a full moon. So chances are pretty good. There was a full moon that night. So Jesus could see them without using any divine power. There was a full moon that night. Probably. Or very, you know, it was a waxing or waning moon. There's a lot of moon in the sky. Maybe that's one of the reasons they thought, okay, we'll go. There is a full moon at least. We'll go out on the sea. So he sees them. He knows about them. And there's nobody else out on that sea right now. So he sees this boat out here struggling. He knows it's them. And he, he has compassion on them. And he climbs down from the cliffs. And he walks out to them. Now, I think I had somebody ask, well, when Jesus walked on the water and it was stormy, was he like going up and down the hills of the water? And I don't think so. I do not think that was the case. I, I feel like the one who has power over the wind and the waves could make himself a nice straight path. Uh, the the uh, Greek verb used here indicates a steady, even progress, no struggle at all. He just walked, walked straight out to him. Now, it took a while. I Hey, Jesus who walked on water could maybe have speedboat feet. I don't know. And he could have hurried it all. I really don't know. But he might have just walked out there. Chances are he just walked on the water. And that was the supernatural bit of it. So it took him a while to get there. Um. And here he is, he's, he's come alongside them. And given their distress, and given the fact that they were almost certainly praying, wouldn't you be? When they saw Jesus, you would think they would be really excited to see him. <coughs> that was not the case. Verse 49, when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out as if they were in an episode of Scooby-Doo. It's a g -g -g ghost. Yoink, Scoop. We better get out of here. They just couldn't run away because they were on the sea. Verse 50, for they saw him and they were troubled, but immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, sailors have always told ghost stories. That has always been a sailing thing. And the, the Hebrews, sailors were no different. And it was their, their cultural superstition that if you saw a ghost, especially at night, it was like a a sign that bad things were coming. It was, it was a harbinger of doom, so they were afraid. So Jesus comes along the boat. Gotta love Jesus. He says the most Jesus thing ever in this situation. What's he say? Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Yep, it's storming. Yep. You think you're going to sink. Yep, you think you have just saw a ghost. But be of good cheer. Be of good cheer, everyone. That's awesome. Be of good cheer. Be of good cheer in the midst of the storm when everything seems to be falling apart. When you aren't sure you're going to make it. When you've suffered through loss and pain and trial and tragedy. Be of good cheer. <coughs> now you can hear something like that. A lot of people hear something like that and say, okay, I get what this Jesus life is about. It's about living in denial. Just acting like nothing's wrong and pretending that everything's okay. 
And there are some Jesus people who, who have been convinced that's what you have to do. You have to act like everything's okay all the time. I've, I've met some Jesus folks like that. I'm guilty of that myself. There have been times where things were bad, and I was like, it's everything's, it's, everything's all right. Some people have it worse. It's a, you know, we're, we're going to make it by the grace of God. We're still standing. And it can be that life where you're afraid that if you acknowledge how bad things are, it's like saying God doesn't really care. You know who would disagree with that sentiment, though? King David. You ever read any of the, the Psalms written by King David? A lot of the Psalms start out with King David saying, Lord, this is a mess. Now, that's a paraphrase. Lord, don't you see this mess? Everybody's after me. They're trying to kill me. I don't know where you are, Lord. What's going on? And this is David. This is a man after God's own heart. Now, to be fair, David starts out the psalm that way, and then somewhere about the middle, he gets it. He wrestles through it and says, Oh, okay, yes, Lord, you are with me. You are there. It's going to be okay. In the end, there is victory. But he starts out acknowledging how very bad it is. I want you to understand that being a follower of Jesus is not about pretending everything's okay because you don't want anyone to get the impression that God has let you down or something. I felt that pressure myself to say, well, if I, if I tell people how bad it is, they'll think that God's not taking care of me. That's not really how it works. We, just, we can be real about it. But then we have to do the other half of these Psalms of David when we turn around and say, okay, yep, it really is that bad. But God really is that good. And he really is going to be there for me. So we don't have to pretend everything's fine. We can be very honest about the stuff we're going through. But let's not miss this great truth that God does not do good things for us in spite of our struggles, but through our struggles. And he's going to do that right here, right now. Jesus is going to rescue them. And this statement, be of good cheer, it's not just like empty words. He follows that up. What is that phrase after be of good cheer? You can see it on the screens here. Be of good cheer. It is I. It is I. That is grammatically identical to what the Lord said to Moses in the burning bush incident when he introduced himself as I am. You read that story? You need to read that story. Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Moses saw this bush and the Lord spoke to him. It's like, who? And, he, and the Lord said, go and free my people from Egypt. And Moses is like, uh, who am I supposed to say? Who's calling, please? You know, who are you? Who's speaking? And the Lord said, I am. I am. He's the self-existent one. Jesus is identifying himself with the Lord God Almighty right here. When he says, it is I, he's saying, I am. There are people who read the Gospels and say Jesus never made a direct claim to be divine, to be God, to be one with God. Go through the Gospels and see how many times he speaks a phrase very much like that. There's a lot of them. I am. So what he is saying here is, I am the Lord, and I'm on your side. I am the Lord, and I'm your Redeemer. I am the Lord, I'm your Savior. I am the Lord, I am for you. You don't have to be afraid because I am. Through every storm, Jesus is. 
And He is with us. He is for us. Does that mean we'll never have any trouble? Well, that's not how I've been experiencing this Christian life. How about you? You got you went, come to an altar and you got baptized and everything's been just fine since then, huh? I think I'm doing it wrong then. No, it's we'll have struggle. It doesn't mean trouble won't ever get the best of us. It doesn't mean that everything that we do from here on out, He approves of. But it means Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He will redeem us in every trial and every tear. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be down. We don't have to be depressed forever. Jesus is. And He is with us. Now, Mark tells us in verse 51, that Jesus stepped into the boat and the wind ceased and the disciples were amazed. Should they have been amazed? Not after what they've seen, not really. The display of power is no surprise. If they'd seen the clues, this wouldn't have been a surprise. Verse 51, then he went up into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. Apparently they, they could see his power. I mean, they, they saw him multiply these fish and loaves, but they couldn't understand this the rest of this and verse 52 acknowledges that the reason they were amazed and marveled is because they had not understood about the loaves their hearts were hardened we would say that we would say they were hard-headed that it just couldn't get through their hard heads it was obvious that the crowd didn't understand jesus but his own followers his closest followers didn't understand him of course they thought they understood him they were sure that they took a right the right concept away from this whole bread and fish thing Oh, Jesus has the power to provide. Excellent. They were ready to accept him as king of the picnic, king of the potluck, king of the good times, king of the spring sunshine. But it wasn't spring sunshine anymore. It was a storm. Was he king of the storm? They couldn't understand that part. They were in the storm. They'd done all they could do. It wasn't any better. Do you feel that? They were physically, mentally, and spiritually exhausted. They were worn out. Before the thing ever started. And they felt very out of control. See, maybe that's the struggle for me. Maybe for you too. That everything's fine until I feel like I don't have control of the situation anymore. Then I don't like that. Then I start saying, hey God, have you got this? He's had it the whole time. It's like, okay. the, the, the there's, I don't know if they still have the shopping carts over at food lion where it's a little fire truck thing and there's a steering wheel in it did you ever have to see those those hadn't been invented when i was a kid uh, my kids got in that one time and they were a little too big for it They're like daddy we want to take this the fire truck shopping cart we want to take it i said all right but if i get this you're riding in it the whole time i'm not letting you out because i knew what was going to happen so we went down about two lanes and like dad i don't like this anymore so what did i tell you what did I tell you? And so they rode in it. God bless them. They rode in it. But there's a steering wheel in that shopping cart, fire truck shopping cart, and they could turn it and they could turn it, but who's really driving the thing? Man, sometimes we're wrenching the steering wheel when God's the one pushing the shopping cart, and we're panicking because the shopping cart is not going where we expected, and that wheel ain't connected to nothing. I think we need to... To trust the one who's really driving this thing, huh? Trust him. You see, 
you need to know that during the times when you feel alone, you're not alone. When you feel forgotten, you're not forgotten. When you feel like God's a million miles away, He isn't. When it seems like you're forsaken, help is on the way. When it seems like things are out of control, He's not out of control. He's still pushing the cart. The Lord may have already shown up in your storm and you don't know it yet. When Jesus showed up for these disciples, did they recognize Him? Don't be surprised if the Lord has not already shown up in your life to help you in whatever you're dealing with and you just don't recognize it's Him yet. When God has dealt with me, He sent some messengers my way that I didn't expect for sure. The Lord was sending some messengers to me that I wouldn't not recognize as being sent from Him and yet they were speaking some messages that I needed to hear. The disciples did not recognize Jesus, so understand the Lord may take some unexpected forms. It may even look scary. And if you read Matthew's version of this, he calls one of those disciples out onto the water. Check that out. I don't know what you're going through today, but I'll tell you this. There will be some times when life will be so difficult that you will wonder if the Lord is paying attention. You'll wonder if He cares. You'll wonder why it's got to be so hard when you're just trying to do the right thing. My encouragement to you is not, not to give up. Don't give up. Jesus isn't just king of the sunshine. He's king of the storm. When the darkest hour comes, he's there. Maybe not in the form you expect him, but he's there. As soon as Jesus got into the boat, the storm ended. Maybe it's time to ask Jesus into the boat. Let's just do that right now. Just say, Lord, just, I mean, if it's in your heart to say it, just say, Lord, I want you in my boat. Mm, Lord, Lord, we want you in our boat. Father, you understand the things that each of these people are going through. You understand the things that I'm wrestling with. I want you in the boat with me. Please, Lord, please. Please forgive us in those times when we have not trusted you. When we've been willing to trust in the sunshine, but our trust seems to wash away in the storm. God, please use that storm to build our faith. Lord, we give you these struggles. We give you our storms. And we invite you into the boat. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, it's almost Easter. We're like, what, two Sundays from Easter? You want to know something cool? We're like three years. It's like almost three years since we officially launched at this location. Isn't that cool? So three years ago, we were moving out of the high school. And we were moving up here. And we were cleaning this place and scrubbing the motor oil out of here and sanding and painting. That's so wild. Of course, we spent about a year and a half of that three years out in the parking lot again. But hey, it's nice to be inside. Um, so keep in mind, Easter's coming up. Uh, I think it's Palm, Palm Sunday next Sunday. Am I, is my math right on that? Yeah. So it is very exciting. I'm so glad you're part of all of this. God bless you this week. We're going to send you out with a little bit of music. And I, I hope your week this, this is full of the Lord's blessings. And I hope you see him in the midst of the storm. You guys take care.